0: I read an interesting article the other day. It appeared on the website of the Gospel Coalition. It concerned the earliest attestation to Jesus. Granted, the New Testament itself is the earliest written attestation of Jesus, but Paul refers to something earlier in 1 Corinthians 15 when he says when he writes this to the church. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, from uh, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Paul refers to a gospel message that he received. It wasn't written down in the New Testament at the time because the New Testament didn't really. The earliest book that we think was written was Mark. Um, some argue there was Matthew, but maybe around 40 AD, and that's a very conservative view of Mark. Um, but the gospel was still preached. You know, they, did, they didn't carry Bibles around with them and say, you know, here's what the Bible says that most of them had the Bible memorized for the most part, especially the Jews, especially like Paul. He could recite Scripture. We know that he had manuscripts, though, and we know that he carried them with them because when he writes to Timothy, he says, bring the parchments and the manuscripts with you when you come. So we know that they existed, but that would have been later, towards the end of Paul's life, maybe around, I don't know, 65 to 70 A.D.? But he received this message. When did he receive it? Well, he received it when he heard when he was when he talked to Peter. Christ appeared to him, right? But then, when he went to Jerusalem, he's met with Peter and he received the message of the gospel. He knew the message of the gospel because of what he heard. And so, this writer, this article, stated that. That's the earliest attestation of Jesus that we have that Paul makes reference to in its reference to uh, um, a verbal, um, a spoken proclamation of the gospel. Well, I believe that the gospel's earliest attestation is actually the whole Bible, the Old Testament and the New. Paul says that the elements of the Gospel were according to Scripture. That's what he says right there, 1 Corinthians 15. So where do we find that content revealed? Yes, it is revealed throughout the Old Testament in many portions and in many ways. However, Isaiah 52, verse 13 to 53, verse 12 set forth the details quite accurately. We see in there those points, that Christ died for our sins, that Christ was buried, and that He was raised. Notice with me, if you will, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scripture. First of all, we notice, we have to notice the Incarnation. Um, In 52, verse 12, Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high, just as many were astonished. Uh, At you, that is, at Israel, Uh, Christ is being compared to Israel. They, they were, they were, uh, people were astonished by what happened to them, Um, and so he says. And so, like you, his visage was marked more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. And uh, and he, he says in verse, uh, I don't have them written down here. For he shall grow up as a tender plant. As a root out of dry ground, and he has no form or comeness. In other words, he's not special. And when we see him, it's not—he's not so. He's not like he's a beautiful guy. He doesn't look like the picture by, what's his name? You know, with the long flowing hair and the nice trim beard. He doesn't look like that. He wasn't anything outwardly special. Um, and so, that bears testimony to the fact that that. That he has to be incarnate. The incarnation is presumed (coughs) in these words. It's not stated in that way, but it's presumed because he's a man. He's someone who grows up before the Lord. And so the incarnation is there. And the incarnation is necessary because the Christ has to suffer for the sins of his people. That's the second part that we look at when you see, uh, the, um, when you see Christ died for his sins. First, is the idea that he's incarnate. Second, is the idea that he, he is the sacrifice for sinners. Um, we read that he is a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He wasn't esteemed. He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. We thought it was because of his own sin. That's what the verse says. He was, he was. Uh, we esteemed him stricken, spin by God, and afflicted. We thought it was his fault that he was suffering all of these, uh, these torments, and all of this um, pain. But it wasn't for himself. He was bruised. Isaiah says, for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him. It's by His stripes that we are healed. You see, we are sinners. All of us are. Um, we're rebellious. We're haters of God by nature. That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 1. We don't, you know, People don't like to hear this, this kind of language. They don't like to hear that, that before God, they're condemned, right? No one likes to hear that. We all like to think that, well, we're not too bad, you know, we can pull ourselves up our bootstraps, we can we can do this or that, or we can we can we can we can balance we can balance the good and the evil, you know, we can keep the yin and the yang in proper proper position. But the point is it doesn't work. We can't be that because we are prone to evil, just like the hymn we sing, you know, prone to wander, Lord I feel it. Um, we have this problem and it's sin. And it is Christ then who atones for that sin. We read that, that, that the Lord had laid upon Him the iniquity of us all. For our transgressions, He was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, He was stricken. The Lord was pleased to bruise him. He has put him to grief. These are all coming right out of Isaiah 53. He made his soul an offering for sin. He shall bear their iniquities. He's not bearing his own iniquities. He's bearing ours. He's bearing the time of Isaiah, I, I really believe that Isaiah was one of those prophets who looked ahead, like Peter said, and wondered the time of Christ when He would come and wondered all of that. That Peter says that that's what the prophets did. They they wondered the time and all manner that, that Christ would come. They were trying to figure it out, but they couldn't, right? I think Isaiah was writing... <laughs> to the Jews of his day to be sure, but to get their focus off of themselves and off of what's happening to them and onto a Savior who would deliver them from the sin that actually caused them to go into dispersion. The sin that actually caused them to go into captivity. Isaiah is saying, listen, God is telling you this, that your iniquities need need to be atoned for, but you can't do it yourself there's one though who will come and he will he will bear your burdens he will bear your sins he will bear your iniquities and his soul will be poured out to death well that leads us then from Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried that's according to the scriptures too and that He was raised. Paul puts those two together, I'm separating them. That He was buried. Well, look what, look what Isaiah says. He was cut off from the land of the living. They made His grave with the wicked, but with the rich at His death, because He had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in His mouth. His grave was with the rich. He was. How do we understand that? Um, they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. Um, that's one of those places where we got to exercise some wisdom, because it sounds contradictory. Christ's <coughs> Christ's grave is with the wicked, and yet he's he's buried with um, he's buried with the with the rich. Well. As I think about it, and um, now I'm stirring off of what anybody else thinks, and I'm just trying to understand it myself. As I think about it, Christ was buried with the wicked in the sense that he was crucified. And when they buried him, they buried him with uh, the same as they would bury the other people, right? He was crucified between two thieves. And they were buried too, were they not? They may have been buried in a horrible place, but I think that what Isaiah is saying, I think what God is saying to us is just, yes, uh, his son, his servant, was buried with the wicked in the sense that he suffered the same fate that they suffered. He went to the grave just like them, but his grave was actually with with the rich. And remember, you know, what did Joseph of Arimathea, he was, a, he was a wealthy man. He came along and he said, okay, we'll lay him in, in, in this tomb because he had it. And so that's what they did with Christ. They laid him in the tomb of a rich man. Now these things are said in other Scriptures as well. Isaiah is not the only place that this is being said. But what I want you to see is that Isaiah really does quite a nice job um, of summarizing the details of the Gospel. We have to think about them. We have to work through them. But he really does he really does put in one place what Paul puts in a few verses. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That He was buried and that He was raised again according to the Scriptures. And so we see that, that, it, that it's placed here in, in language that is um, descriptive, to say the least. It doesn't just say he was buried it doesn't just say that he he died. what it says is here's the reason he died he bore the, he bore the iniquities of of us all he bore our sins God laid upon him our guilt um, he 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 was treated just like other men when he was buried except he had he was buried with a in the in the tomb of a rich of a rich man so what we see is that Isaiah seems to bring the details that Paul summarizes in 1 Corinthians 15. He brings them together in a passage full of beautiful language that makes us think deeply about what our Lord Jesus suffered. So he was crucified according to the Scriptures. He died according to the Scriptures. He was also buried according to the Scriptures. But then we see he was also raised now, that one's a little more difficult, in my opinion, to see. And yet, I believe that it's there. By his knowledge, my righteous servants shall justify many. For he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great. And he shall divide spoil with the transgressors. And he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Now, we remember that at the cross, right? Right? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But Jesus didn't stop interceding for us because He's still alive. And Hebrews tells us that Christ ever lives to make intercession for us. But God raised Him from the dead. He he, he poured out His soul to death. But God is going to divide Him a portion with the great. Say, boy, what is that? What's in view there? Well, God's going to divide... Him apportion with the great and divide the spoil uh, with the strong. If you put those together, I believe what you're looking at is, uh, at least in some sense, a description of what occurs in Philippians chapter 2, 1 to 11, and Ephesians chapter 4 through 10. In Philippians chapter 2, 1 through 11, Paul talks about the incarnation of Christ, Though he, was God, though he was in the form of God, he considered it not robbery to be equal with God, but he, he, uh, he poured himself out and became a servant and took on the form of a servant. And uh, in that state, then he, he suffered, and he suffered even to the point of death, and that death was on the cross. And that's focused on, in Philippians, the death on the cross, because it was the most shameful, horrible death ever devised by anybody. I sometimes think, well, maybe there's some worse deaths. You know, the Assyrians used to impale people and hang them up before the, over the walls of their enemies. But crucifixion was really bad because they made you linger in life while you were dying. That's why they broke their legs. Remember, uh, the, the soldiers went around to break the legs. They came to Christ. They found that he was already dead so they didn't break his legs. Again, to fulfill the scripture. But... When they crucified someone, they they crucified them so that they could continue to push themselves up to get breath, right? Because they would go down as they push themselves up to get breath. Well, when they broke their legs, they could no longer push themselves up to get breath, and so they would suffocate. They were tortured. Amen. They were tortured, and Christ endured that. But what does Philippians say? Therefore, God has highly exalted him and gave Him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Again, a quote that comes back to the book of Isaiah. Right, The book of Isaiah is the most quoted book in the New Testament. Isaiah 53 is probably the most often referred to in the New Testament. And so... I believe that when we read, and he shall divide. Uh, when we read, um, therefore, he will divide him a portion with the great. I think that, well, it, it may be something hard to see. I think that it makes us look forward to what happened um, to our Lord Jesus Christ. He makes intercession for the transgressors, not just then, but even now. But secondly, he says that he will divide the spoil with the strong. But what does that mean? He'll divide the spoil. What did they used to do when the army went? Uh, king went out with his army in, uh, in the ancient world? They'd defeat a city or they'd defeat a people. And what would they do? They'd go and they'd take the spoils, right? And bring them back. I believe that we're getting here a picture of what Jesus did when He ascended into heaven. He ascended into heaven as He descended from heaven, Paul says in Ephesians 4. And he said, and he gave gifts to men. And, you know, and then he begins to delineate the gifts. Some were given as pastor's teachers, some were given as prophets, some were given as this, some as evangelists. But it's all for the building up the body of Christ. So I believe what Isaiah is, is at least alluding to, and what Ephesians 4 is at least echoing, uh, is, is Isaiah 53. That Christ was raised from the dead, and because of that, he has he has his portion among the great and he divided the spoil with us. Why? Well, because he poured out his set his his soul unto death. He's the one who gave his life for us that we might live. Now, I want you to think about that. I realize that it's not as easy, I think, for us to see these things. We have to spend some time reading and, and praying and asking the Lord to open our eyes. But I believe that because Isaiah 53 is laid out the way it's laid out, because of the, the emphasis really does fall in terms of language. Um, when, you're, when you're analyzing a text, you look for the rhetoric of the text. And, uh, and that means you look for the words that are often repeated. They don't have to be the same. They could be synonymous. But what, what you see repeated over and over and over and over again is that Christ is marred. Christ, uh, the servant, is, is, um, is um, a man of sorrows. He's, he's a man who's bruised. Everything is emphasizing the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the focus. That is why the book of Isaiah is called the fifth gospel. And it has been uh, since the early church. It was the fifth gospel. And Isaiah 53 was one of the places that they went to all the time. It was one of the passages that, that the early church fathers would debate with the Jewish rabbis to try to show them that Isaiah wasn't talking about the people of Israel, but about the Christ, about Jesus, the Son of God the gospel you see addresses people at the point of their greatest need and the and the Jews of Isaiah's day their greatest need was to rest and to trust in the god who would forgive them who pointed them ahead to the savior did they see it all no no more than we see it all but the reality is some of them did see some of them did look forward in hope some of them we see even in the new testament like Simeon and Anna, who are waiting in the temple. They're expecting the Lord to come. Why are they doing that? Because they had the Old Testament scriptures. Why did the eunuch from Ethiopia, why was he reading in Isaiah? Because Isaiah is the fifth gospel. Isaiah is the gospel presented to the Old Testament peoples. It's really, I don't know, it's really engaging therefore it is the gospel that must be that must saturate our lives now to both explain what I mean and to challenge us this morning I want you to look for a moment at the handout given to the adults and you can share it with your children but it's on the very last page and it looks like this now, I know we're not big for visuals in sermons, but um, I, I thought this was really good. I made this, but I actually got it from uh, somebody from the Gospel Coalition. But usually, the point is this. People come to us with problems, right? People, no matter how old you are, it doesn't matter if you're in school, out of school, married, working, people have problems. And a lot of the times, maybe most of the time, we give them our advice, right? We give them some sound wisdom and all that. And that's okay cuz you know, I mean, God uses, you know, our our experiences and everything like that. But what I want to challenge us this morning because now we're in a new location. Now we're hoping that we can see God bring people into this congregation. We're not demanding it, but if that's God's will, that's what we like. But in fact, I'm not even praying that that happens. My prayer is that we be faithful. That's the only issue. So if we're faithful, how do we be faithful? Well, let's listen to people's problems, but instead of just giving them our advice, take them to Christ. Be so saturated with the Gospel... That is, you think through people's problems, even your own problems. Think through them as a Christian. Go through Christ. Pick any subject you want. Anything you want, just pick a name one. Well, I have family problems. You know, my husband won't do this, my wife won't do that. Really. Well, let me tell you about my the way I approach things as a Christian. And hey, you could go to the book of Ephesians, and you always start, you know where you always start? With Christ and the Gospel. It doesn't do any good to tell people who don't know the Lord that, well, you know, uh, husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Or, you see, you can't even tell someone to love their wives. In that way. You can't even tell a wife to submit to her husband because you can't even say, as unto the Lord, right? You can't do that. So you have to bring them to Christ. You have to show them that their greatest need is the Gospel of Christ because their greatest problem is the sin that separates them from God. And once you cross that bridge... And people see that, yeah, you know, that is my problem. I I am a selfish person. You know, a husband could say, you know what, I I am selfish, and I have treated my wife wrongly. You know, what can I do? You know, put your faith in Christ, repent, and then look at what the Scripture says. Husbands, love your wives. How? Well, in what manner? As Christ loved the church. That's a comparative. What is it? What did Christ do for the church? <coughs> he died for the church. So, what's a husband? What's a husband to do? Well, he's be willing to lay down his life. Maybe not literally. I mean, maybe literally. You don't ever know. But lay down his life to do what needs to be done for his wife's sake. Now, she shouldn't be selfish and want everything her way. Granted that, but uh, a wife should be then submissive to her husband. There's, there's nothing we do get a little bit of that. Um, that's okay. it's not any worse than the. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, so you see, a, a wife can't be selfish if she's going to submit to the, as her husband is unto the Lord. You know, children, obey your parents. How? In the Lord, right? You're to obey your parents in the Lord. You can even say, obey your parents. You can even understand it's because of the Lord. Because the Lord tells you to obey your parents, so you're to obey your parents because you're Christian children. You know how are you supposed to do these things as Christians? That's how. That's how we do it. And everybody's problem, whatever everybody, anybody problems anybody has, should be brought. Our advice is okay, but what we need to tell people is, we need to tell them the gospel we need to tell them that their greatest problem isn't their wife, isn't their husband, isn't their disobedient child. It's not that those aren't problems. You don't want to skew those. But what you want to say is that your greatest need is to come to Christ and to give yourself to Him and then to walk in the light of His Word because when you do that, you see, He empowers you by His Spirit to uh, fulfill... what God calls us to do I cannot love my wife as Christ loved the church not on my own and I failed miserably throughout our marriage but it's always held before me you know try to move in that direction and she's the same and so whatever the issue is remember take people to Christ saturate yourself with the gospel and then you can talk about anything But saturate saturate yourself with the Gospel. Well, let's pray. Almighty God and most merciful Father, because of Your Son Jesus, we approach Your throne to seek grace to help. Because we do not know how to pray as we ought, we depend on Your Holy Spirit to intercede for us. We do, not, we do not know what, for what we should ask. We do not ask for great numbers, but for faithfulness in our service. We do not ask for larger offerings, but for wise use of what You allot to us. Father, how might we glorify You in, your, in our current situation today? Yesterday is past. Tomorrow is unknown. We have today. Therefore, today, let us not harden our hearts. Today, let us hear Your Word, believe, and obey. Help us by Your Spirit to inculcate, saturate, absorb the Gospel into our lives that we might know how to help others see that Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. We ask this in the name of Jesus, who lives and reigns with You in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever. Amen. Amen.